millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we even jump into the meat of this episode, I want to spell out the content warnings. Murder, adultery, and self-mutilation loom large, as does rape, both cis male on cis female sexual assault and cis female on cis male. I also want to say that this is a conversation between two cis women about one of the most prominent trans women characters in literature. Greetings, Attic Wives, and Greetings, Attic Wives, and welcome to Fuck Boys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. Roberta Muldoon is the third main character in John Irving's 1978 book, The World According to Garp. In my opinion, she is one of the kindest, most genuine, most earnest characters in any book I've ever read for the show. She's also trans. And I just want to go on record to say her transness is not portrayed well. Even though she is not graphically subjected to many of the disgusting tropes that are thrown at trans women. There are no violent moments of trans panic. She herself has many loving and, yes, sexual relationships with cis men who know who she is and her journey. There is no danger of Roberta being fridged. In a book obsessed with mothers, she is easily the best one. And yet, for reasons we will get into, Roberta's purpose in the story ends up being pretty gross. And it's a bummer. All right, everyone with me today is a guest with a voice you will recognize, especially if you listen to her podcast, Your Favorite Book, Malavika Proceed. How the hell are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Emily? Good. Thank you so much for joining me one more time because you were back. You were on an episode a little while back on The Natural, and now we're talking about like another quasi-sports book. You know, I, I'm not very original with a lot of my book choices. <laughs> no. <so. laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, another book that puts, you know, sports and masculinity and the conflicts therein at the forefront um, in a very different way in this one, but very excited. Yeah, because, you know, uh, the world according to Garp is a very, um, as we were saying in text back and forth to one another, upcom- like in the week upcoming to this recording, it's so fucking weird. It is just so freaking weird. <laughs> Yes. Oh, gosh. And it's it had been about eight or nine years since I had first read this book. And in that time, I remembered a few pivotal portions, but like reading it all together, I'm like, there is so much in this book. It's a long book, but like so much happens. This is like an epic. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like you're, you're driving along and you're just puttering on through and you're like, oh, weird, like asexual mom. And it's like, there's nothing weird about asexuality, but she's really weird. Um, and then it becomes kind of like a, a sex farce comedy with um, severe critiquing of feminism, but appreciating feminism undertones. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a, a massively long book full of just 
butting heads. And I don't feel like it ever really came to an opinion or like a concrete feeling about anything. Yeah, it, it sort of stopped. This book could have started and ended at basically any point because the, it doesn't come to any natural resolution in, 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 in terms of its themes or ideas. So like you could have started this book at any point. It makes sense to start with the basically conception of Garb. We start a yeah. little before that. And then, you know, after we're like spanning his life, but you could pick anecdotes at random. You could start anywhere you wanted. It's the same book. Yes. No, like I, ne- until you said it, that had never occurred to me because you are entirely correct. Because like you, you, it kind of starts again with like the conception of Garp, which we will have to talk about. But then like, it, you're right. It doesn't have to be there. It could be literally anywhere. And again, like, I don't think it changes how you feel about the book at any, at any point. It's just a deeply weird and unsettling book about family with the most fucked up family I have ever read about. <laughs> it really is like this is a family like to rival all families like I and and it's weird because at the end I do strongly believe that these characters love each other. Like yeah. it, and and that's the thing usually with these deeply dysfunctional families like they don't love each other the way you do but there is so much love here. Just no one knows how to express it at all. There's no, there is all, I would contend that aside from the children, there mm-hmm. is only one healthy person in all of the world, according to Garp, and that's Roberta Muldoon. I love Roberta. Roberta knows what she wants, and she she's just a, she, obviously she has her self-esteem issues as she's coming into her own, but yeah, she is the healthiest character in this book by far, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like, again, reading this as an adult, because the first time I read it, I was probably about 19 or 20, and I was in college, mm-hmm. and I think I just, like, glommed on to the absurdity of it, but yes. reading it again as an adult, and you can see, like, how, you know, how people are supposed to treat one another in healthy relationships, and none of them are there, except for Roberta, Um I suppose we've gone on long enough that like, could you give us like a really quick like rundown of this just in case there's one person listening who hasn't read this ridiculous novel? Yeah. So this book, The World According to Garp, it's essentially the life and times of writer T.S. Garp. And the T.S. is literally just T.S. Um, Doesn't stand for anything. Fun fact, I know a person in real life who is T.S. and claimed it didn't stand for anything. And he used to like do that, but we found out it did stand for something. Oh, Um, But going back to the book, uh, essentially the life and times of T.S. Garp, you know, starting with his conception and childhood, his marriage, his struggles with his own writing, his having a family, and how he's tied up with the um, with his mother, who is the a feminist leader before her time and various women that she mentors, just how all these things come together. It's very hard to summarize this plot. I was about to say that is like the most succinctly perfect summary of this book that has like 8,000 different tangentially related <laughs> characters. I was like, wow, like a round of applause. That was amazing. This is one of those books where it's hard to keep all the names straight and hard to keep all the characters straight. There's a lot of different people and moving parts here. Yeah, it was first published in 1978, and it is very much a 1970s book. So Mm -hmm. heads up for that going into it. It's just like uh, Roberta, who we've been fawning over, is a trans woman. There, It is 
dealt with well for, I think, the fact that it w- uh, the book was written in 1978. But mm-hmm. a lot of the language is incredibly awful. They do dead name her a lot. That's like the that's probably the biggest heads up for this. But also um, rape is a constant topic of conversation in this, starting with T.S.'s mom. <laughs> yes. And it's never really addressed after. And it's it's sort of trivialized compared to the various other instances of rape. But like, this is 100% rape. Yeah. And it's totally glossed over. She, I'm assuming she even writes about it in her giant thousand page autobiography and no one bats an eye at it. It's no very one. odd. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, really quickly before um, I sat down with you, I actually watched the movie because there was a 1982 adaptation starring Robin Williams uh, as Garp and then Glenn Close plays his mother. And she is having, there's a scene in the movie that doesn't happen in the book where she's telling her boss at this uh, all boys boarding school where she works as a nurse, how she managed to get pregnant. And her boss goes, you raped this man. And he freaks out and runs out of the room. And she does not even flinch. She does not even remotely admit that the way that she managed to essentially collect a comatose man's sperm was her sexually assaulting this man. It never comes into the text until the movie. Absolutely. And I I haven't seen the movie. I know of it. And I was pleasantly surprised that Robin Williams was Garp. I think that's actually pretty good casting from how it was described in this book. And I love Robin Williams. But yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, you know, it took the movie to sort of bring that to the forefront. Because this book, you know, as much as it has to say about rape, it kind of neglects that initial scene. Yeah, um, in a way that, again, reading it as an adult, I I don't think I quite grasped the gravity of the actions that she did when I was in college. Again, I was just kind of thrown by the absurdity of it. But now as an adult, as someone who's lived through the last 20 years of our incredibly broadened perspective of what is sexual assault and what is rape and what it does it constitute... I, I was appalled, frankly, and and really very disgusted at the fact that like in no point is Jenny Field sat down by any of the women who have been raped who live in her house eventually, and they don't ever sit down and say like, you did something horrible to someone. He may not have known, but you did something horrible. Right. And it's it's also one of those things when, when I first read this book, I was in high school. And I guess at that time I was, I, I knew this intellectually, but you didn't really grasp that rape is something that women can do to men. You yeah. Know, that's that's another thing. And I especially think at that time, maybe it's just something that was glossed over, but now definitely in our context and with an adult's perspective, yeah, totally not okay. Yeah. Um, no, that's a really, really important point because I feel like so much of this book is about like the effect of someone's desire and the ripple effect that has on other people. And like to the point where Garp has a really complicated marriage. He gets married when he's about 19 to this woman named Helen Mm -hmm. and they cheat on each other all the time. Um, Sometimes it's with permission. Most of the time it's not. It leads to like the complete upending of their family. A kid dies. It's, it's a really horrific thing that just keeps happening and it's all very much linked to this like idea that like what you desire is going to have like a ripple effect on other people 
And it's very weird that Jenny never puts in per- into perspective that her desire for a baby had an impact on anyone else but her. Right. And you can extrapolate that from, from Jenny like to Garp. I mean, it takes Garp like decades to realize that his, you know, little trysts with babysitters here and there, like how deeply those affected Helen. And mm-hmm. it takes, and Helen really doesn't reckon with her affair that she has that ends in a very dramatic scene. Um, she doesn't really grapple with that too much either. It's sort of that the tragedy sort of makes them move on, but we don't see them internally moving on the way you want yeah. us, the way you want them to. No, that's a really, really good point. Like, uh, you know, there's a line in the book that I don't think I highlighted, but I remember it sort of off the top of my head of like, it. they're talking about the first time Garp cheated on his wife with a babysitter. And it just kind of says like, he only cheated on her once in the first five years, <laughs> but then he cheats on her like six more times in the remaining 30 years that they're married. <laughs> Not even, you think it's 30 years that they're married. They're married like 13 years. Right. You're That's right. It. It's a short. Yeah, Garp dies when he's younger than you, Emily. I like, know. <laughs> spoiler alert. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, spoiler alert for like a 50 year old book. Um, he, he gets assassinated essentially at the end. He is 33 years old when he dies. And I am about to turn 36. And I was just like, oh my God, he's a baby. Like, so much has been crammed into his ridiculous life. What got me about that is the fact that he's constantly struggling with writing to the point where he's like, he, he's essentially a stay at home dad and also mm-hmm. writing. And we see that he produces in his adulthood, three novels that make it relatively big. And then at the end where we're revealed that he's 33 when he dies, I'm like, no, you weren't a struggling writer. You wrote three published novels at 33. Bravo. Where do I get, where do I get some of that? I know. I'm almost like, wow, screw you, actually. Like, you know, the conceit of how the book gets, his book gets published is also related to how his mother gets published, where Mm -hmm. she like walks into not an agent's office, an editor's office with her typewritten manuscript, waits while he reads it, and is just like, I will let you publish this. It's so like boomery where it's like, oh, just walk into the office with your job application and they'll hire you. And it's like, that's not how anything works. Like maybe not that's how it worked remotely. in 1978. Who knows? <laughs> it, it, it is very much of another time. And, and not just because of like the language that they use to discuss sex and relationships and, and sexuality and stuff like that. It is, mm-hmm. it is very much of another time of like, after he graduates high school, he decides he has to like live a little. So his mom just takes him to Vienna for a year and they just like hang out. <laughs> And it, it's so, it's very absurd. And it also follows so many of the classic John Irving tropes. And I'll give a bit of my background here. I was a huge John, John Irving fan when I was in high school. I think my three favorite books were were this one, Owen Meany and The Cider House Rules. Yep. And I haven't reread either of those in a while, but they, there's all these common themes that he has. There's, there's bears, there's wrestling, there's random mm-hmm. trips to Europe. There's these fraught fatherless sort of families and uh, odd relationships to masculinity. Uh, it, it really seems like the author has these themes that he's stuck on and he's trying them out. It's very similar to how Garp is 
rewriting element. He always says, I don't write autobiographically. And I'm like, yes, you do, dude. Like that's, <laughs> that's everything he writes. And it's easy to extrapolate that in some way to Irving himself when he keeps going over these themes several times. Yeah. Like I didn't know this until I, I just quickly like wikied the, the book before we started chatting, but his mom, uh, John Irving's mother was a single mother who like never told him who his father was. She had never been married. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just kind of said to her, you know, can I use this for a book? And she said, sure. And then afterwards she was like, well, that's not what I expected. If you loved our show, I wanted to tell you about a few of my favorites that you can easily subscribe and listen to. First, of course, find your favorite book. The links are in the show notes. Second, if you're less into books and more into old Hollywood films, try my friend Kristen's show, Ticklish Business. Patrons get super awesome bonuses, like mailings of DVDs, and the shows are available wherever you listen to podcasts. If I don't offer you enough Jane Austen content, try the Ents and Sensibility podcast. They're on a Willoughby tear right now, so you'll get your fill of phenomenal fuckboys there. And if you're in the mood for more lighthearted takes on literature, try the Save Me From My Shelf podcast that pokes fun at classic lit. They're doing The Crucible soon, and as a program note, so are we, so be sure to listen. If you love FBOL and want to make sure we keep making more shows, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fuckboysoflit. But if times are weird, take this moment to text a friend about FBOL and let them know they're missing out on the best podcast on earth. I'm Emily Edwards, and have a good one. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.